that there's there's always going to be something missing and that longing is what keeps magnetizing us in this this wonderful romance of of creator and creatrix of purusha and prakriti of shiva and shakti Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap, a podcast featuring Bhavani Sylvia Maki, an international yoga teacher, musician, and author of the Yogi's Roadmap, the Patanjali Yoga Sutra as a Journey to Self-Realization. I'm Shanae Trudeau, a student of Bhavani and a teacher of yoga. These are conversations from the heart. The Yogi's Roadmap podcast explores yoga as a journey of compressed evolution off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. Bhavani believes that engaging in the full science and art of yoga uplifts us, deepens our connection with authentic self and to the source of joy within for personal growth and deep transformation. Bhavani Sylvia Maki has been studying the art and science of yoga for nearly 40 years. In her teaching, she interweaves the insights she has gathered into a holistic exploration of the microcosmic and macrocosmic self. Dedicated to exploring yoga in its complete expression, her teachings are steeped in the traditions of Patanjali's classical eight-limbed yoga, with an emphasis on integrity of alignment and the use of yoga as a powerful tool for healing. This project was conceived out of the desire to have more, deeper, intimate conversations with my teacher, and a request from one of Bhavani's own teachers, Rama Joyti Vernon, who once said to her, let's get you out of the jungle and into the world. Bhavani lives on the island of Kauai, Hawaii with her husband, Ray, and their son, Nico. Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap podcast, off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. In this episode, Bhavani begins with an invocation to Devi Goddess Sarasvati. Sarasvati is the Hindu goddess of knowledge, music, art, speech, wisdom, and learning. She is one of the Tri-Devi, along with the goddesses Lakshmi and Parvati. The translation goes like this. Salutations to Devi Sarasvati, who is the giver of boons and fulfiller of wishes, O oh, Devi, when I begin my studies, please bestow on me the capacity of right understanding always. Saraswati Namastubhyam Varaneka Marupini Vidyarambam Karishyami Sitir Bhavatu Me Sada Shanti 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 Thank you for that. 
Welcome back to your podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Shanae. <laughs> Great to be here with you, as always. And today I want to ask you more about your teaching. So you mentioned briefly in a previous episode that you softened a lot once you met Rama Joyti Vernon. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, you know, um, so much of yoga is about the effort. And so it does require that we we make the efforts because of the, um, <clears throat> you know, the samskaras, the deep neurological trenches that um, we dig for ourselves. And so to get out of inertia is really the project of yoga. And then it's really interesting because then sometimes, um, you know, then the inertia becomes the inability to just let things be. And so then effort can become an obstacle. And Rama being such a, she was really a practitioner. You know, I want to emphasize that. And so having really integrated and embodied so much of the um, the experience of yoga where samadhi is actually, it leaves markers of physiological changes. So her physiology was really unique. And, and by sitting in her field, you could feel that. And the way that she could um, the way that she could penetrate her system was astounding. I mean, literally, you could see the wave of the breath move through her. And it was so wonderful because, you know, she studied with such heavies, such, you know, really deep gurus and thick in their knowledge. Um, but then really, as a practitioner, took it on her own and used the sutra to navigate so Patanjali is just really so skilled in being able to help us to navigate to ever more refined and subtle principles. So I really saw, you know, um, you know, for instance, she would speak about the strength of yoga. The strength in yoga is not a muscular strength. And she spoke of it as strength of sushumna nadi. So sushumna is the central energy channel. Um, you know, I, I love the, the metric that's given to it where the measurement, and of course it's not meant to be taken literally, is one one hundredth the width of a human hair. So when we're adjusting ourselves and we start to move into that realm, we're moving into the Anu, the Quanta. It's a, more of an energetic adjustment and this is where we start to step out of third dimensional reality. There's no more grasping or reaching or, um, you know, in my case, um, being nostalgic about what I used to be able to do in my practice. Because <laughs> as we get older, it's like we need less, right? We eat less and maybe we need less and we're not doing all these fancy postures. So, um, you know, it was just, and then, and then when we look at Sushumna Nadi, literally translates as the place of pilgrimage. So it's, we're going deep, deep, deep into our, um, you know, into the center of the cosmos, like, like the axis in which 
all of the planets and all of the life are, are doing their beautiful pirouettes and vrittis and dances, but there's this center in which you're the seer and you're the participator. So Sushumna also means she who is most gracious. And Rama really was that, her, her level of grace, her level of um, generosity of her spirit in the way that she participated in the world to remind people of the, the unity that already is and that we really just want the same thing, different variations. So she spoke of yoga as the strength of Sushumna Nadi, which is nervine strength. And it came to me um, once, you know, these things come up a flash and you get the right words and it helps you to articulate a, a, a feeling or a psychological state, quiet inner strength. Now, that's not to say that I don't get really excited and, you know, I'm, I, um, I am excited, which is, which is exciting. And that, you know, sometimes we'll, you know, we'll change the emphasis. Like in music, there'll be for, forte, it'll be loud and then fortissimo and then piano will be soft, but it's a different kind of an energetic. And up to that point, I'd been really raised in very um, young traditions. I mean, I don't want to trash guys at all, but but the, the way that it had been presented was um, a sense of pushing or you were never enough, you know? And I, I worked for a while with, um, you know, some, some Iyengar teachers. Again, it all just depends on the teacher, really. But there was this sense of um, there was something severely wrong with you if you couldn't do a particular pose or a particular action. So then it really brought me back, you know, being with Rama to, you know, true to, to what Patanjali is saying, you know, yoga is synonymous with samadhi. He uses samadhi and samadhi is about standing in your wholeness and realizing that in your wholeness that there's going to be pieces and parts in which there's longing and that that longing is what's right about you it's not what's wrong about you so i would say you know that that became really different because um just the whole bhava or the internal space in which I was practicing shifted. And so then we stopped focusing. We stopped focusing on the teacher, right? The sutra are the way that we complete that circle, that circle of love that link the teacher, the teachings, the student to source wisdom for themselves. You know, it's like this, this, this sacred space and holy enclave. So really, um, the I, I started moving more from my wholeness as opposed to the, the, the splintered part of self where, you know, I thought if, if I could do this, 
I'd be more deserving of love or I would really, you know, demonstrate that I've got my chit together, you know? So it was a really, it was a really big shift. And, and Rama was um, just so good at seeing what was beautiful in the individual. And it was just a very feeling. It was a very different feeling, very loving, very nurturing. And, you know, there was, there also wasn't this attachment to this certain form. Now, certainly, like, if you looked at her, she had the legs of an Iyengar student. You know, she had the chops. She had the technique, but she didn't get stuck there. And it seems like a lot of people do. And to really realize, excuse me, to realize that, you know, the asanas and yoga is a context to, uh, for us to explore the deeper content and connectivity. Yeah, it was a revelation. Honestly, I think um, yoga was really kind of disintegrating me on a lot of levels. And yet I can step outside of, you know, that moment in time and appreciate the full arc and that it was necessary. It's like we don't know maybe how to be gentle until we really know where that edge is. Yeah, so it's been very interesting and and having a more breath-based practice, it's very clear in the sutra. Tasmin sati shvasa prashvasa yorgati vicheta pranayamaha. After the sutras on asana, where it says, you know, the perfection of asana is where you let go of efforting. Now that's assumed that you put in the effort and that you, you know, just like any art, it takes a lot of practice. And then when you, you know, look at a dancer who's really skilled, they can, they can let the effort go with, with wild abandon because they're merging with spirit expressed through art. And, and you can see that, you know, so I, I remember sitting with her one day and, um, that, you know, I was, that, that's always the best part, isn't it? When you have personal contact with your teacher and we were talking and I just loved to listen to her, um, you know, and she was also very good. She was a very good listener too. And she looked at me once and um, she said, oh, Bhavani, it takes so much effort to finally let go of effort. And here was a woman who had 50 years of deep yogic sadhana sharing that with me. And I thought, oh my God, like, thank God she told me that. that that's the beauty, right, of, of having a mentor. You know, and the difference between a teacher and a mentor is there's real love and care. There's, there's, there's love, care, connection, and there's investment in each other. And that's a very, it's a very tricky thing I've noticed for a lot of people because um, the capacity to have that kind of familiarity oftentimes makes the teacher-student relationship less effective. So fortunately, you know, she, we were able to have that, you know, and I'm, I'm able to have that with you where we have a deep love for each other. And yet 
you know, there, there, there is an understanding that I can, that you've hired me for something. It's not just an ego flapping relationship. So that was really, really remarkable to me to have somebody who was so, um, so in their own wholeness that they could hold me in that way and lift me up because it can be lonely as a teacher. It really can be, you know, and to see that, um, you know, we have, we have, we have colleagues and yet there's kind of like a seniority and it's not a hierarchy thing. It's like, you've just been around longer. You've cooked a little bit longer and then eventually you're going to, you know, fry your seeds of karma and hopefully and, and evaporate. And then that other person is going to carry that heart to heart tradition further. Yeah. Honestly, I, I really, um, I can't imagine, and I don't know that I want to imagine where I would be had I continued and the path, the way that it had been presented to me, because there was so much um, wounding, like so many, so much of what was offered came from a place of wounding. And, you know, that's, that's where we have to be so careful. It's kind of like, um, you know, the, the, the astrological sign of Virgo, you know, Virgo is so, um, meticulous in understanding the details and developing, um, like critical thinking and dissecting things to the point where it can actually break itself down, but in its highest expression, it's for the project of healing and wholeness. Yeah. So Rama brought like the heart back in and so much of that was coming from the breath. And she was, when, after she died, um, I had visitations three nights in a row. And it was so intense so intense. Like I'd never had such strong teachings from her. And I was in a training and I remember, you know, she was working me all night, giving me like the main, um, the main intentions of yoga and of, of her transmission. And one of those nights she was having me do the back breathing. So this is where, you know, in, in Marjari Asana, so many people on the inhale, they arch the spine into lordosis, <clears throat> which actually, um, it pushes the organs forward. It creates, um, you know, it was, I think, Yogananda who said, all of yoga is to align the coccygeal plexus with the seat of the soul, which is right in that space, the outlet of the occiput. So all of that, that's aligning the seven stars of the chakras and all the, the, the minor chakras as well, the micro chakra. So, you know, when we push the belly forward on an inhale, which, listen, all movement is good, but when that's the imprint that's given, it actually, um, it, it creates changes in our physiology. And that's an action that animals do when they're under attack. They bloat themselves and make themselves look really big. 
So she had, and it's interesting because I had always spontaneously felt like I always did it the opposite way. So instead, when you inhale, you feel, you feel your back body lengthen and you feel the little anal coccygeal tendon lengthen. So there's length in the spine and you feel the sense of the ribs broadening out and the diaphragm broadening out laterally. And then when you exhale, there's a sense of growing longer through your crown. And so that night she was like over and over. And so all night I was <clears throat> doing this breathing and she said, the counter pose is within the pose. So each inhale and each exhale, then we're experiencing like a back bend and a forward bend. And now we're starting to become, you know, more adroit in yoga as a language of internal response. The other key teaching that she kept impressing is she integrated the Gita a lot was, um, well, there, there were a couple, but that it's, it's better that we do our own Dharma poorly than try to do someone else's dharma. So this is where, you know, so many of the teachers, it was kind of like they were telling us how to be and what it should look like. And you're trying to fit yourself. You know, you're a square peg or a round peg in a square hole into these ideas and these concepts. And she said, it's better, you know, spa dharma, like what fills you with sweetness and what supports you is really what, what you're exploring and the action of inaction that we give up being the doer. So that's the samadhi state. This is where you're like, wow, this isn't my breath. Breath is like the entire universe is breathing through me. And, and, I'm not going to take it in forcefully because this is a form of diksha. You know, this is a form of grace that's filling me. But to recapitulate, I would say um, she brought grace back into the practice and she brought love back into the practice in a very feminine way, which is like birthing creativity. And like those yoni temples, <clears throat> It's about entering the void and moving into the back body, the sense of the shadow, which is, um, you know, where she would say, everything we want to know is held within the subconscious. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Because when I, when I first met you, it was like, I, I never got to meet Rama in, in person. And, um, but I really feel her teachings coming through you because when I first met you, it was like, I was being given permission that there's not one right way to do yoga life in general. And it, it was such a relief. <laughs> it was like, Oh my God. You mean I get to like, explore and and that leads me to my next question so thank you for that because 
it was like over the years that I've studied with you, you're, you're a student first and foremost, and that comes through. And that's, that's why I love studying with you because, um, you know, seven years ago you were teaching about the brain and the glands of the brain. And then it was the year of the serratus. And then recently it's the pelvic floor. And for me, it, it, it turned yoga on its head for me personally, because it wasn't like, this is the way it is. And this is the way it's always going to be. There was so much more exploration and softening. And it doesn't mean easy because it's no less rigorous or trying or asking, asking me to come outside of my, you know, habit body. It's, it's very, um, intense and, uh, full of heart <laughs> and, wow. and in, inquiry, you know, like real curiosity. And so, you know, there's a lot we can go into in there, but because you're always learning and you are a student first and foremost, like how do you choose what to focus on in your teaching? I don't know that I sit there and think, Hmm, what should I study next? It's that sense of um, like it presents itself. I don't know. You know, we might call it grace or we might call it timing. I mean, certainly I have. Um, yeah, I think that life is just kind of like, you know, it's that sense of Atha Yoga Anushasanam. And if you're paying attention, everything is being revealed in the moment. Everything is there, but we only have so much bandwidth. So, I mean, sometimes it might be because like, oh, um, you know, I have this issue going on, so I want to study that. I can't really say, I'm not really ever searching for topics. Part of it is being immersed in yoga for so long, you know, everything kind of, there. there's all these hints that are being dropped and I really love my, I really value and love my books and things like that. And then also my teachers, like I was a sponge. And even if there was something I didn't understand, like I may, it would imprint within me. And then I would get curious about something. And a lot of it also is my, you know, is, is the sense of being a teacher. Um, you, I, you know, I almost don't want to say student because there's so much stigma around that, but like I'm inspired to keep learning, to keep sharing with the students and to take it in for me, you know, as well. So this is like that sense of the, the uraburo, you know, the snake with the tail in its mouth. It's like, we're, we're life consumes life and we're, we're sharing energy in this grand exchange. Um, I can't really even who knows how, you know, it's just like something sparks, something connects, certainly conversations with respected, you know, colleagues and something will come up. Um, and then, and then I become even more curious about it. Yeah. I, I, I just love that, um, you know, part of understanding the yoga, which is, the non-dual awareness, right? That everything is connected, that sense of samadhi, every piece and every particle, like 
affects all of the rest. We know that that's true. It's not just metaphysical conjecture. You know, it's been proven that when a butterfly moves its wings, the entire world feels it. So when we understand that, we can, we can explore different aspects and get a deeper sense and we can hold the form loosely. And yet, as you know, at the same time, like there's, there's really meticulous, there's technology that's being transmitted as I'm doing this, but it's like, like we're going to subtler and subtler vehicles. And then we, then it kind of pulls us back around so we can go from the, um, the subatomic to, you know, your toenail to your index fingernail, you know? So, um, yeah, I just, uh, I've always, and, and this is kind of how God made me. And this is part of the gift of my, my, my bloodline and lineage is we're generations of learners and, and teachers and scholars and artists and how wonderful that rather than being a scientist or an artist, Yoga is the the merging of those two where I can I can use my intelligence to explore um, the greater intelligence. And I, I love um, you know, this this phrase where what is intelligence, but it's organized systems of energy. So yeah, I'm just being fascinated and learning um, is what keeps things really juicy for me. And I, I just, you know, it, it would just be soul sucking for me personally to just be teaching the same thing every time. Now, that being said, you can never do trikonasana, the same trikonasana twice, but that sense of vitality and, um, you know, you know, there's just those of us who are born mystics and we delight in the mystery and we know we're never going to see it all. And that's okay. That's like, that's, that's like, you know, even Patanjali says, there's always going to be something missing. And even that, you know, it took me many years and I found it in the sutras. It, it was really affirming that you can't say it all. You're like, oh, I should have said this, or I should have shared this, but no, it's okay that we're always like, that longing that there's, there's always going to be something missing. And that longing is what keeps magnetizing us in this, this wonderful romance of, of creator and creatrix of Purusha and Prakriti of Shiva and Shakti. How lucky are we? <laughs> We're so lucky. I mean, I- <laughs> It really, like I, I slight tangent, but it's, it just goes to the heart and, and so many of um, my fellow yoga teachers, you know, there's a, a sort of a complaint that, you know, now that you're a teacher or now that they're a teacher, they don't have time for their own studies or their own practice. And for me also, as a teacher of yoga, I, I never really got it because that's, for me, the inspiring piece to be always learning 
and always trying new things. And I do it for me, but I also do it for the people that I hold space for that come to my classes. Any thoughts? Yeah. You know, I love what Joseph Campbell says, you know, it's like, I will eat and I will be eaten. So it's part of this reciprocity. I mean, certainly if I wasn't teaching, I could totally focus on myself. But, you know, again, it's like yoga isn't just about the self with the small s. It's about the the continuing, um, you know, participating instead of just being dragged along or trying to fit the old mold, being part of the evolutionary impulse. So that's, you know, in some ways, it's a great gift. It's a great gift to be able to... Um, you know, just focus on your own practice. I think there'll be a time for that in life. And and honestly, if people would take the time to practice before jumping into teaching, like no one would have ever even conceived of, of starting to teach unless they at least had a 10-year practice. And that was even green. So, you know, everything is now much quicker and instant um, and I think there is, it's like, if, if you have knowledge, there's responsibility. We, we can always help someone. Um, but really, really reveling and treasuring in your treasuring that time of your, your apprenticeship or your studentship. And then, then being solid enough in that, solid enough that you can be curious. And even say to your students, I'm not really sure about this. I'm going to go find out. And that takes a lot of um, a lot of stability and a lot of maturity to recognize where you're strong in and, and that it doesn't in any way negate your um, capacity to, to steward or to mentor another to be like, there's plenty that I don't know. Yeah. And I, I want to circle back to the Saraswati mantra, which we started our session with. Um, you know, Saraswati, who's the, she is the Ishta Devata. So she, she is the embodiment of the shining qualities of learning, all of the arts, all of the sciences. She's a polymath. She's a polyglot. And when she sits, she sits with an open book in front of her with blank pages. So to me, that's the sense of an open mind and being an open book. That, that, that is really where learning occurs. So many people, you know, it's like the, um, and, and I get it, you know, I get it. It's like, we're trying to, we're, it's this great question of who am I? This was last week's sutra. So, you know, before we can get to that question of who am I, we develop our ability to look at objects, you know? So it's like, I, I want to find myself, you know? And yoga is this process of self, um, self-realization, self-actualization. But in order to get there, like, how are we going to know ourselves unless we have the capacity to really learn and pay attention and be receptive um, about the formlessness of all nature, right? 
but we have to understand form to certain degrees and we can get stuck there. So we may be really skilled in a posture, but not really have a sense of knowing ourselves, knowing our fragilities um, and taking care of ourselves. Yoga is self-care. And then eventually we start to discover who we are, which is also formless. We're dynamic beings. So it's just so beautiful. And it is, talk about pure grace, that we have these insights, that we have this, you know, and I, I think I shared earlier, um, you know, the, the, the tradition of yoga in the original Sanskrita, the Devanagari, it's an angelic language. You know, this is, it is grace and it was a transmission for us spiritual beings living in a material world, in a material body to remember the essence of our spirit. And then how amazing that we're on this Goldilocks planet. I mean, you know, you're in a beautiful place right now. You're in, you know, La Belle France. And, you know, I'm on Kauai, which is like just the the level of fecundity and the the purity of the elements and the the potency of the nature spirits here. I mean, it, it it's it's tangible. It's amazing to be in this body and it's amazing to be in this life and it's freaking hard sometimes, but like deliciously so. And sometimes we have to remember that, right? Yeah, it really may, you know, and it all comes back to the first sutra, like, like, wow, this is your life. This is your life. Are you going to like, you know, initiate yourself in each moment to really extract that nectar and to, and to be pierced over and over again with love. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I mean, that's well said. That's what the yoga is for me over and over and over. Mm. Is there anything else you want to tell me about how your teaching has changed or been influenced since you started studying more in-depthly Patanjali's Yoga Sutra? Um, Yeah, definitely. The, I just love the way that the sutra are prompts. They're prompts to help you to like, okay, yeah, now I've developed focus here. And then it's kind of like, well, what about over here? What about over here? Um, and recognizing, um, how shall I say? Gosh, that's such a deep question and it's ongoing question. But I would say it keeps the focus on the greater integrity and that that is not something that's separate from us. And so we, you know, so much of what is spoon fed to us, 
certainly the economy is supported on this sense that you aren't enough or that you need this shiny, pretty bobble thing or that you need this outward attention. And so it's really about, um, you know, what I would, what I would, how I would express it is that yoga is communion. It's that sense of feeding the holy, of offering yourself as part of life's beauty making, and that you are something that's never before been seen. And so certainly, you know, we can, we can feel that on the map. And then when we come into life, you know, as Rama would talk about the kleshas, which are um, kind of those uncomfortable states of mind and attitude, or when, you know, when, when things are not easy, klesh means um, affliction. They're not negative in themselves because that's how we grow, you know, and our kleshas will bump up against somebody else's kleshas. And she would say, and eventually we bump up against each other and life bumps up against us. And it kind of like knocks off the rough edges, the sharp corners, and it starts to smooth us out. So we become more well-rounded. So that, that is really wonderful. Um, you know, I'm pretty fierce by nature. <laughs> you too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And to realize that like, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the fear, the, the, fearless love or the ferocity of love or the passion. And I just love, you know, it's like, we'll be in the sutra mentorship and something will come up, some, some ripple, some vritti, some rough edge. And, you know, usually it's in, in my marriage. Um, you know, that's like, they say the hardest yoga after being a mother, right? Because you have two egos, you've got to merge together. And part of our gift is that we come from, we're, our sons are exactly square. We come from totally different angles, even though we're going the same place. And so we'll bump up against each other. And then there will be a sutra for it. Um, like the, the week before last, the sutra was speaking about, um, let me think. That we can hold space for resolution. And we don't know, there's the mystery of resolution, but it's, um, you know, what yoga has taught me is the greater integrity, that there's something that I'm bigger, that's bigger, that I'm not seeing, and that there's a ripening process, even though like my sense of urgency wants things right now and I want to fix it or I want to direct it. Like, can I let go of being the doer, um, you know, be the undoer and, and make my abode in that Shraddha, which is that devotion, that commitment in knowing that things work out in the end. They don't, my mother used to say, and I call this a mama sutra, you aren't always going to get what you want, but you can have something special. So there's, there's magic behind it. 
and to, to step into that magic. And can I find that then, then this last week's sutra, that we, instead of focusing on the seeds, which could be the objects or the karmas, we, we bring our awareness into the womb. The womb space or hridaya garba, which is the golden womb or the golden heart of creation. So we're holding sacred space. And then not only are we holding it, but we're held in a larger sacred space. So that relayed right to, you know, some kind of, you know, friction that was occurring in a discussion and marriage. And I was like, you know what? I don't have to, um, you know, the right to be right. I can let that go. I don't need the right to be right. And I know that things are going to, to borrow from an old shaker song. Oh, it's kind of like the Vritti, um, the gift to be simple, the gift to be free, the gift to turn around where we want to be and turning, turning, and they would spin like the der dervishes. Turning, turning, we come round right. Um, yeah, yeah. So there's, it's like, it just gives me um, so much comfort because this isn't a philosophy. First sutra, Atta Yoga Anushasana. I'm like, I've been through it. I've gone through the thick of it. I've been through the dark night. And let me tell you, there is a way through this. And this is the, the, the initiation that's just going to happen again and again. And you can relax into the unknowing. So there's the known knowns, there's the known unknowns, there's the unknown unknown, and then there are the unknown knowns. And I just love that. It's like, it's already in there and it's just that process of remembering. So yeah, just for me, the sutra are a way of weaving what can seem like really, you know, the world, it can feel really chaotic and really broken. But then we realize that, you know, we're only looking at one little piece or one little part. We change our perspective. We can, we not only reframe our experience, but we realize the nature of the problem addiction. And so now, you know, what, what is really fascinating me is instead of focusing on the problems is, is realizing the greater integrity and that I can, be, I can soften into that. I can soften into it and I can offer into it. Yeah, thank you. So switching gears a little bit, I want to talk to you about the language you use. And I've noticed that you used to call your trainings yoga teacher trainings. And I don't know when you switched, but now you're calling them tr just trainings, the work that you do with people in these in-depth study kind of ways. 
and you're still teaching teachers. So what changed for you? You know, I don't know that that was a conscious choice. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, it's so wonderful because... As you know, like you've done, you've done my trainings um, repeatedly and even quote unquote the same training, but like it isn't the same training because our body of knowledge and my interests shift and change. So there's that sense. And then also the magic when we come together and having people who are curious and willing to ask the questions instead of just tell me what to do. It becomes this, you know, sangata, this, 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 this gathering in which, you know, things are revealed and there's, there's all of this, you know, uncovering this discovery. So I think that's really where it comes from. And certainly, you know, there is a container and there is a structure, but it's almost like jazz music, you know, it's like, here's, here's the main theme. And then there's, there's going to be all kinds of embroidery and embellishment, or maybe, you know, the, the rest of the ensemble drops out and we've just got the bass going kind of like, you know, the bass and the drums, that's what like holds it all together. It's kind of like the heartbeat and the, the, um, the blood being pushed, you know, through the cardiovascular system. And then, but then it all kind of comes back in a reprise. And so I, I really enjoy that process. Honestly, um, you know, nomenclature is so tricky. They're all immersions is more accurate. So I call them kind of like, I think teacher training slash immersion because that's when we take the deep dive. And I love that when people come into that, it's like they know we're coming into a ritual space. We're coming into a ceremonial space. And we're all here to throw ourselves into this fire of metamorphosis, you know? So it's kind of like, you know, we're going in and we're, 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 we're jumping off, you know, the place that we know and we're in it together. And the sense of consistency and everybody coming together over, you know, concentrated time over a more lengthy amount of time. Um, And we come out and I I feel like, you know, in the beginning, I used to like be really rigorous about, you know, we're going to learn this, 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 and the other. And I feel that, um, you know, the way that people come out of the fire of that experience is... They've embodied things and then they can articulate it rather than this sense of rote learning. And that's, that's something, I don't know when it happened, maybe in the Victorian age where the teacher would stand at the head of the room, like a God or like a clergyman and sit there and pontificate. And the student was expected to absorb it and be able to regurgitate it. And so now what I, what I love is just seeing people come out with a greater 
sense of themselves and a greater integration. Like, it, yeah, we're learning the yoga, but we're learning, we're, we're developing understanding about ourselves. So the, the focus is different. And yeah, it's, it's a bit of a struggle to find the right words for it. But training is something that when, you know, it, it goes through someone's ear, the nerve impulse, it, it, it hits the right points for them to understand what I'm offering. And also, you know, a lot of people are looking for that. So it is a training, but it's, it's so much more. And I'm personally really, really, I like it. I mean, whether that was intentional or not, you know, training slash emergent immersion is so, it says so much more than just yoga teacher training, which, yeah, <laughs> it has a lot in there. And, and that's always been um, a question for me, you know, about, you know, teachers leading these trainings and often people you know, that's just kind of like a, a, a factory mill. They go in, they learn the thing, they come out. And instead of really deepening the inquiry over the months and years and decades, hopefully, that we get to spend with our teachers. I would agree with you. You know, I mean, that's, that's a, like, certainly you can go online and get a training for really like discount prices and big box prices. And, you know, I, I wish I could do that, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't really work, you know, in the greater scheme of things. Um, and that's partially because I don't have a hundred students coming in. And with my new Shala, it's much, it's much more of a, a concise space. And so the, the, the level of connection. It's again, that sense of mentorship, like we're here to develop our capacity for relationship. If we look at yoga as relationship and that there is reciprocity as opposed to, um, you know, like I'm reading the, a manual on how to disassemble an you know, a, a transmission on a car and put it back together and put it back in the car. So it's, it's a really different context. And I, I certainly, you know, it's also kind of unique is that so many people farm out. I know there's plenty of trainings where you do this with this person, you do this with that person and there's benefit to it, but I feel like it's, um, it can be a bit piecemeal and a bit disjointed what I really like is, is this sense of, um, you know, under, you know, it, it's exciting to work with individuals and watch how they wake up on so many layers. You know, when I think about like how you came in and what your legs looked like and what, and now how your legs look like and, and even how the way you're breathing or you're moving or the way that you're um, metabolizing your experiences that's what keeps it alive and juicy. And we're able to do that because we're together and we're spending time together and there's real investment. Yeah. So it's a very different, you know, if, if, if um, you know, what we're learning is we're learning how to see 
you know, as Iyengar would say, don't just look, but see. Don't just listen, but hear. Don't just touch, but feel. And then we, we really like start to peel away all of these accretions of armony, armoring and striving and self-alienation to, um, you know, what we're learning is we're, we're, we're remembering how to learn. And I think it was Krishnamurti who said, as soon as you tell a child what the name of that bird is, they stop learning. Because you're, 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 you're <clears throat> compartmentalizing. And that's, you know, as Patanjali says, that's really helpful in science where we categorize and we have, you know, the, the genus, the phylum. We, we go from archetype to more specific forms. But even then, we're not able to see the individual. So when we marvel in the individuality, um, it's it's a very different kind of an experience. Yeah. So Indeed. I would say that I would say that these immersions trainings are an experience. <laughs> and what I like yeah. to do is leave people with this sense of like, wow, you know, that that was interesting to me. And I'm curious about that. And you know, there's there's been research that the more you explore a topic, the more interested you become. And Patanjali's very clear about that. He says, like, the the really um, the highest acumen of student is someone who's deeply interested. So people will come into my training, you know, or slash immersion, and they want to learn how to teach yoga. And they go, oh, my God, the sutras. Oh, God. And then, I mean, I've had them leave and they're totally like the sutras becomes their great love because they didn't realize the the bigness of it all and how it how it reveals that greater integrity it's like what it's it's what um it's what links it all together yeah and and i've taken your trainings the same one many times over <laughs> and it's always different and it's so potent and a, a very unique thing that I've, I've learned from you and maybe other people do it. I just have not come across it, but is that you've often said that, you know, yoga is the thing in the center, you know, it's not a top down, it's, you know, learning environment is like, we're, we're all getting a look at this thing that's in the center. And you also set up your room where we're facing each other. And now it's unique because you teach in around yurt. And even when you had a, a studio with, four straight walls, we turned to face each other. And that was very unique for me. And, and as a teacher, I've started doing that in all of my classes. And I can just say the, the level of communion and reciprocity is, is just by simply that one change of, you know, directionality <laughs> is that everybody is not just facing you or the teacher or a mirror. <laughs> yes, or a mirror, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so what do you want to say to new teachers that want to teach yoga? <clears throat> um, I would say don't, um, don't quit your day job. 
<laughs> because when we have an expectation, when we turn like the love and the art into our bread and butter, then it can put a lot of pressure on the situation. That just happened organically for me. I mean, I I had like six jobs just so that I could share yoga. I never expected it. And somehow, somehow magically it's worked out where I've been able to, you know, have make a living out of it. Um, so that that's pretty basic because it really, it really changes the context of how you're approaching it. Then you're doing it to get something rather than to be in this, this grand exchange of energy. And certainly to um, really be a student, you know, how can you effectively teach unless you're a continuing student in that way? And I would also say an imperative is getting some kind of therapeutic counseling because when we're, when we're in, when we're standing in the role of teacher, um, to be able to hold a healthy container is really important. And so things are going to come up and, and the sense of guru, you know, it's like, it, it means heavy. And part of it is because you are caring your students. Oh, this is new for me. Not only are you holding and caring with them, but you care for them. So like, how can you, um, without enabling them, empower them, how can you, um, you know, be clear and where you're solid and where you need to work on yourself, that that's a big part of the integration. And I really feel that that's, you know, you have to understand that traditionally the student lived with the teacher. So there was, there, there, there was kind of like no hiding and coming in and being so high and sanctimonious and reverent and holy in the room, it was a constant interaction. And so just like in any household, there's a raising, there's a, a raising of that student. Um, so, but understand, and, and the student served the teacher, but the teacher was also serving the student, but the, the student was really taking care of the teacher and, and developing that commitment and, and ability to care for another. Um, sometimes it's easier to love your neighbor than yourself. And before that, that teacher had done the same thing. So it was really, um, you know, it was really that lineage of love, of caring and raising each other. You know, certainly we don't have that context anymore, but we we can do that in the way that we invest ourselves and commit ourselves. So I've mentioned this before. It's like, you know, um, being being really um, astute in what you want to learn, why you want to learn it, who you're going to learn with, and seeing the level of that person's integration. And it's not that they should be impeccable. I mean, we're, we're only human. We, we have that aspect as well. But that that teacher is also committed to offering into the wholeness, into the holiness as well. And then that's, that's really a growing relationship, right? Love, 
like the honeymoon phase. You meet somebody and you think, oh my God, this is the perfect person. And we can, we can look at it. Maybe they're emitting the right pheromones because they have the, the right genetic complexity that's going to strengthen your own, you know, the genetics in your line. And it seems so perfect. And they, you know, done studies that like the honeymoon phase maybe lasts a year, maybe lasts two years, and then people break up, right? But like in true love, there's there's respect and care for the individual. And that's where you're willing to um, have forbearance or um, sacrifice certain things because you know it's important for that other person. And the more whole that other person is, the more that you can then care for this, you know, the triad, which is the relationship itself. So like, I care about Shanae and Shanae cares about Bhavani. And in, in, in allowing Shanae to do what's important for Shanae and me to do what's important for me, then we can hold this space of the greater integrity, which is the yoga of communion of union and, and of relationship. Thank you. And what would you say to seasoned yoga teachers or seasoned practitioners? What do you want to say to them? Keep cooking, keep cooking. And, um, you know, just to really watch, um, you know, I, I, I do feel like, you know, Rama would say it over and over again, the sutra and the practices can't be separated. So the sutra are just so helpful because they're going to um, highlight aspects. It's like we can't see what we can't see. So that's why psychotherapy is so important. Like you just, you know, we, we can do asanas to strengthen our body. We can read metaphysical teachings and understand, you know, develop our cosmology. But as far as developing our own emotional intelligence and psycho-spiritual maturity, that's where the sutra, which are our um, transpersonal psychology, and having, you know, periods of psychoanalysis or, or therapeutics along with the practice Now you're doing the bottom to top therapy. You're doing the top to the bottom therapy. And I love what you said. Yoga's in the center, right? It's it's the bridge. So as long as we keep taking care of ourselves, a lot of times, um, you know, as yoga teachers, it's the challenge. We become so focused on taking care of everybody else that we can be depleted in ourselves. So really... um, taking care of ourselves so that we can remain, we can come from our own fullness and offer without being depleted or being exhausted. It's so important. So the sutra are something that we can continue to reflect on on our own. That's going to help us to bridge it all together. And then we have all of these other things that we can do. They're all part, you know, it, it was a, a, a multidisciplinary approach. So yeah, 
it's so much bigger. Yoga is so much bigger than our idea. And so are we, you know, so are we. Yay. It's beautiful. Don't let yoga ruin your life. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. (laughs) I think I'm going to save the last few questions because they're big questions for another time. Great. Okay. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much, Bhavani. My pleasure. Namastu Byam. Namaskara. Jaladhara Saniva Sundara Gatram Jalaruha Mitra Jashatru Netram Jaladhara Saniva Sundara Gatram Jalaruha Mitra Jashatru Netram Kalushatru